I'll get closer to home. I mean, you know, Jeremy, most of what you believe is just crazy. But, you know, I accept you as a brother. This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello, it's Jeremy Myers, and I have another bonus episode for you today. I'm really excited about today's bonus episode because I have Frank Viola on the line, and he has a brand new book out today. I'm really excited about this book. It's titled Regrace, and you can get it pretty much anywhere books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your favorite Christian bookstore, published by Baker Books. And he not only talks about grace and grace-related issues, which of course are big in my heart, but... More importantly, the application of grace and how we Christians can start treating each other more gracefully, graciously, when we disagree. So I'm going to let Frank tell us more about the book. But in case, by some strange reason, you are unfamiliar with Frank Viola, he is author of numerous books and he's helped thousands of people around the world deepen their relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, his most recent book prior to this one, prior to Regrace, is Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. And he has, to go along with that, recently started a brand new blo- podcast, which I encourage you to go subscribe to. It's the Insurgents podcast. And on the podcast, he has conversations about the gospel of the kingdom with pastors and theologians around the world. You can learn more about that by going to theinsurgents.net. And of course, everything about Frank Viola, you can learn at frankviola.org, which is one of the top 10 Christian blogs on the internet today. So I'm just going to welcome Frank to the podcast, and we'll discuss his book, Regrace. Frank, welcome to the One Verse Podcast. Jeremy, it's great to be on again. Oh, sorry about that. I had the music still going. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, thanks for, the, thanks for coming on the podcast again. My privilege, Jeremy. It's great to be on again. So, Regrace. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book and how it came into existence. Yeah, it's an interesting story. Uh, this, the main title is Regrace, R-E and then Grace. And the subtitle is What the Shocking Beliefs of the Great Christians Can Teach Us Today. And so the origin of the book is rooted in me observing over many years how Christians just tear into one another and and actually destroy one another online over alleged doctrinal trespasses. Uh, It's very common. I know you've been privy to this and probably been a victim of it, uh, where two Christians disagree with each other on Facebook or Twitter, and then they just start hyperventilating on their updates and comments, uh, just slashing one another to bits uh, because they disagree over theology or politics, even to the point of banning or blocking each other (laughs) on Facebook or Twitter. It's just insane. And so the blood is really running high, even in our time. And I just was trying to uh, figure out a solution to it for those who have ears to hear, kind of a better way to move forward when we disagree with one another. 
And at that same time, Jeremy, I wrote an article on Martin Luther and some of his odd beliefs uh, outside of the great things that he taught. But, you know, he had some really uh, eye-opening ideas. Um, And Rick Warren, of all people, America's pastor, quote unquote, found the article and he wrote me personally and he said, Frank, I think you should write a series on the shocking beliefs of the greats like Luther and Calvin and Wesley and on and on. And he said, I think it would kind of soften people when they engage in disagreements over theology because every single mover and shaker in church history, every person who has shaped the Christian church, you know, since uh, century one onward, has held to some pretty bizarre ideas aside from their great contributions, right? So I thought the idea was brilliant, Jeremy. And so I told Rick, I said, yeah, let's do it. And so I wrote a series of articles. uh, This is back several years ago on the shocking beliefs of the great Christians. And the um, series did so well. I know you read you you said you read it. Yeah, no, it was. It's so well. People were sharing it. People were being touched by it. Um, and uh, so I decided, you know what? I think I can expand this into a book. It would be helpful to the Lord's people. It would actually get the message out there far greater than the blog series. And <clears throat> it also needed to be updated and revised because I did the I did the research. Uh, with scissors and glue. I mean, it was just uh, cut and pay. It was not cut and pay. It was it was really poorly done. Uh, I didn't really uh, pay attention to a lot of the uh, the sources, and so I hired a research assistant, and we went through every single document that I quote or cite from, made sure it was ironclad, correct, and accurate, and so the book really is far, far better than the original blog series. Uh, People can still find it uh, on the Patheos blog, but uh, it's just a sampling of the chapters in the book. But anyway, that's the origin. That's the story. And so all of us uh, who labored on the book are excited to get it out there. And and hopefully it will calm some people down (laughs) when they disagree. I was reading some of your book last night and... You mentioned just a minute ago about how the blood has flown. I really sort of laughed in your chapter five. It's not a blood sport about how the blood has flown uh, at the hands of Christians over theological disagreements. And then you mentioned up to the horse's bit with this image out of Revelation. <laughs> but that's true, right? And and you, it's literally true uh, in the sense that lots of people did slaughter other Christians, arrest and kill them uh, at you know at the point of sword over theological disagreements. And we look back at that and we shake our heads and we say, oh, how could they have done that? But then in the next paragraph, you say, uh, but we've come a long way today. We've come two millimeters. <laughs> and that's true, right? I mean, we may not kill people today, uh, but we come pretty darn close, don't we sometimes? Oh man, let me just put it this way. I'll put it in a sentence. If murder were legal, we would have a lot of dead Christians at the hands of fellow Christians because of theological and political disagreements. That is fact. I do not, uh, I I, I do not disagree with that statement at all. I I believe it's true Uh, because if you've watched Christians go at one another's throats on social media, 
you can see the hatred. Uh, you can see the the absolute angst. And, you know, I, I, I think really it's gotten to the point where so many believers, they're not even on social media anymore because of it. You know, yeah. so many folks, I have friends who, who are done with Facebook just because of the, uh, the vitriol yeah. uh, in the believing community, you know, and, and of course the world looks at this and they just, you know, <laughs> they just smile because here we are preaching the peace of Jesus and nonviolence and, <laughs> you know, uh, loving our enemies and God's people can't even get it right when it comes to all this. So, so yeah, something is needed. And I thought it would be great to look at, hey, you know, your favorite hero uh, in church history, the person who you look up to, take a look at some of the stuff that that person believed. And it kind of has a sobering effect because we step back and say, well, if they got some of this stuff wrong, if they didn't have immaculate perception, then goodness, I need to extend a little bit more grace to my brother or sister when we disagree. And the fact is, Jeremy, we're all in process, you know, mm. uh, all of us are growing. And so to just take our doctrinal sword out, uh, you know, instantly to, to, to slash somebody's ear off because we don't like what they say, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's immature and it grieves the Holy Spirit and it gives the body of Christ a black eye. Oh, it absolutely does. So I want to talk about a few of the people you mentioned in your book, maybe just one or two. I, I noticed you have C.S. Lewis in there and D.L. Moody and, and uh, what, Spurgeon, I think? Who else was in there? Well, we got Jonathan Edwards. We got John Calvin. We got Augustine. We have, hmm. oh, we it? have Billy Graham. Billy Graham, yeah. Uh, and and I, I want to make clear to, to the audience here, uh, I am not at all... Uh, degrading or putting down or putting in a bad light any of these people. In fact, I regard them all to be great contributors to the body of Christ. Uh, I have high respect for each of them. Uh, the point I'm making is that none of them were perfect in their views, that all of them missed it somewhere, and that all of them had either surprising beliefs or some of them even shocking beliefs, just depending on how you gauge that, you know? Uh, and so if, if that's the case, if even the greats had missed it in terms of their viewpoints, then we need to just step back a little bit and say, well, you know what? I need to be a little bit more gracious when I come a, a, around a brother or sister or engage in a brother with a brother or sister with whom I disagree. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's really the main point. And, and I have to say that, Jeremy, because when I did the original blog series, <laughs> We had we had two reactions from people who didn't really read the full uh, articles. Um, skimming is one of the greatest sins a person can commit when it comes to reading online, right? You right. skim something and you miss all the nuance. <laughs> um, but we had people like, say, for example, when I when I talked about John Calvin, we had Calvin heroes that just totally missed the point. Uh, these are people who idolized Calvin and. They just saw it as a denouncement of John Calvin, which which it wasn't at all. And uh, you know, some of those people were apoplectic uh, when they read the series. Then we had others who read some of the stuff that Calvin believed, and uh, and immediately they were just you know going after Calvin uh, 
and wanted to use it as some kind of a buttressing of their own anti-Calvin views. Both reactions totally missed the point <laughs> of, of the articles in the book. So, And I actually have some of the mail I received from people who really were ticked off when they read the original series. And, and one thing I'll say, you know this, Jeremy, but unlike any other book I've written, this book is peppered with humor and comedy. Uh, you know, it's, I, I wanted it to be an entertaining read as well as a challenging read. So there's a lot of humor in it. And I think uh, most people will find, will find themselves laughing as they read along. Well, that's going to be one of the keys to agreeing to disagree with others or getting along with others, even when we disagree, isn't it? Because if we can't laugh at some of the things Christians have done through the centuries, uh, even some of the things Christians do today, and maybe even more importantly, some of the things that you and I do ourselves. Exactly. Right? If we don't have that sense of humor, I mean, we're doomed from the start. Uh, we have to have a little bit of humor about, about Christian history, Christian theology, and Christianity in general sometimes. Well, one of the problems is that many Christians take themselves way too seriously. Yeah. And, you know, uh, of all people, I am dead serious when it comes to the gospel and the gospel of the kingdom, especially. But if you cannot poke fun at yourself, if you cannot uh, take yourself unseriously at times, then you really are not walking in the steps of Jesus Christ. One of the things about the Lord is he has a sense of humor. And if that's a new idea to people, they can uh, pick up a book entitled Jesus of Theography that I wrote with Leonard Sweet. And we have a whole chapter on, on the, hu the humor uh, aspect of Christ. Uh, you know, he was not sucking a lemon everywhere he went. He, right. You know, he, he was someone who had joy and he could laugh. And some of his statements, we miss, we miss the humor in it because we're 21st century readers going back to first century uh, maxims. But when we understand what he was saying in certain contexts, I mean, he, he was a rip-roaring, funny person at times. And, uh, but all that to say, you're right, when we, don't, when we take ourselves too seriously, that's when we pull out the guns against our fellow brethren uh, when we disagree. I, I want to I read a statement here. It's in the book, but to me it was just explosive, Jeremy. Um, George Whitfield and Jonathan... Uh, Wesley, George Whitfield and John Wesley lived around the same time. And these people um, had different viewpoints. Whitfield was a Calvinist and Wesley was an Arminian, right? right? Now, many, many Calvinists believe that Arminians are heretics. They believe that they're, they've engaged in heresy, that they, they are not representatives of the Christian faith uh, and vice versa. Well, George Whitfield was once asked this question. He said, he was asked, George, do you think that you will see John Wesley in heaven? Right? Well, listen to this response. Whitfield says, I fear not, for he will be so near the eternal throne, and we at such a distance, we shall hardly get sight of him. <laughs> Wow. It's a beautiful Here's response. a guy who disagrees with the, the theology of another brother in the Lord, yet he recognizes that John Wesley was a holy man of God. God used him. 
He loved the Lord, and he was going to be close to the throne of God in heaven. That, that's incredible. And that's the kind of attitude that is the mark of a person who knows Jesus Christ in reality. George Whitfield knew the Lord. He was a man of great spiritual stature. And that statement alone says it all. And, uh, and that's really the intent of the book, <laughs> is to be able to recognize a brother or sister in Christ despite the disagreements we may have with their particular theological viewpoints. Absolutely. And I think the point you're making and uh, in, in the book overall is that just because someone has some shocking beliefs, which might be shocking to us, and maybe not. I, I liked how you said some of these beliefs, these shocking beliefs, you yourselves hold, right? And you're not going to say which is which, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. and some of them you don't. So, but, but the point is, just because someone has a shocking belief doesn't mean you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater and, and reject them 100% and call them a heretic, consign them to hell, and, and you know, start slaughtering them in the name of Jesus Christ through your keyboard. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, the keyboard is now the new, uh, well, gosh, what? It's the new axe. It's the new <laughs> steak. It's the new noose. It's the new, this is go on and on. Uh, but but here's, here's something. I'll give you an example. All right. So I wrote a book entitled Pagan Christianity with George Barna uh, over 10 years ago. And that book caused a firestorm. Uh, we, got, we got so much hate mail. Uh, and threats and all sorts of insane things from quote unquote Christians. <clears throat> and, and in it, you know, we critique the modern pastoral role. Now we don't, we don't attack pastors, but we raise questions about the form of the pastorate today. Uh, is it really biblical? Were pastors in the first century shepherds, they were called overseers, uh, elders, uh, all, all different uh, names for the same ministry, were they what we see today? You know, uh, the person that preaches sermon every Sunday and he's the head of the church and so forth. Is the pastor today what it was in the first century? And we come out saying, no, it was a very, very different ministry. And here's where the modern pastor came from. Well, here's the thing, Jeremy. I have friends who are pastors, modern pastors, fulfilling that modern role, right? We disagree on whether or not the modern form of the pastorate is biblical or not. But here's the thing. We're close friends. We work with the Lord together. We work for the Lord together. We, we do projects together. They attend my events. I attend their events. It's never, it's never been an issue of fellowship. And that's what I'm talking about when it comes to holding a belief wherein you disagree with another brother and sister, but still be able to fellowship with them at a very high level and receive them as someone from the Lord. So that just is one example. Yeah, no, absolutely. That is a perfect example. I know you did get a lot of hate mail for that. You probably even still get some today <laughs> and it's been out for over a decade. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually true. And, and I'll give, I'll give, I'll get closer to home. I mean, you know, Jeremy, most of what you believe is just crazy. But, you know, I accept you as a brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the laugh was delayed there. I was, <laughs> I was getting uh, concerned. It was quiet. But, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I don't hold your heretical beliefs against okay. you. you know, all you're, right. You're fine. growing in the Lord. You're growing. You know what I mean? We're not all, we're not, we haven't all arrived. Uh -huh. You know, 
process. So this too, the Lord will make clear to me, huh? <laughs> let's be let's be a little bit more gracious and patient with one another. You know, the Bible does exhort us to be long suffering, which means suffer long with your brother or sister. Yeah, and that is the fruit of the spirit. Yeah, no, I know you and I. We you and I agree on a lot of things, and we also disagree on on several yeah, things absolutely. too. And that's one hundred percent fine. We can still. Uh, you know, be friends online and work together in a lot of ways. And that's the beauty of the Christian church, I believe, when we're working in unity and love the way we're supposed to. And that's what's so great about your book. So let's get into some nitty-gritty details, if you don't mind. Let's just pull out my favorite author of all time is C.S. Lewis. Yeah, yeah. And he has been so influential on me and my thinking and theology. And so he is one of the people you talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I know you don't want to give away all the details, but I did pull up the summarized article on the Pathios, uh, on your Pathios blog there that shows some of these. So I'm, I'm not giving away things that aren't available already sure. online. But you mentioned there three beliefs that C.S. Lewis, three shocking beliefs that C.S. Lewis had that maybe people were not familiar with. Do you want to mention one or two of those and just talk yeah. about why now, they're shocking? Yeah. If we have any Catholics listening to us or Anglicans, uh, this is not going to take them by surprise. But, you know, C.S. Lewis has been regarded to be uh, one of the greatest apologists for the evangelical uh, tribe of Christianity. And the evangelicals are very strong on Scripture uh, they're very strong on if it's not in the Bible, you know, it's part of a tradition that we don't accept. It needs to be biblical and so forth. And so looking at C.S. Lewis from that lens, these are some surprising beliefs. For example, he believed uh, he believed in praying for the dead. Well, you know, evangelical Christians don't pray for the dead. And uh, you have a hard time finding evidence for that in the New Testament. Uh, and so that's one thing that has raised lots of eyebrows about Lewis uh, among evangelical Christians. Another one is he believed, he believed in purgatory. Uh, and that's, you know, that's straight out of the Catholic playbook. Uh, evangelical Christians, non-denominal, non-denominational Christians, et cetera, don't believe in a purgatory. Um, and the other thing, too, which will probably get some evangelical Christians to take out their heart medicine, is he believed that the Bible contained errors. Um, so much so that he said certain books in the Old Testament were mythological. Hmm. You know, And so, again, this is the great apologist for <laughs> the evangelical faith, and he had some of these beliefs. Another one uh, that I'll mention, and there, there, there are numerous others, but Lewis believed that um, it is possible for some people who uh, were not Christians, all right, um, to be able to repent and come to salvation after death. Now, you know, that's a tricky one, and it's one that's, you know, very, very difficult to find biblical. Um, justification for, although some people do take some passages, but he he believed that. Now, he wasn't a universalist like his distant mentor, um, McDonald, was. Uh, he, you know, he didn't believe that everybody was going to get into, into the heavenly gates, so to speak, uh, as McDonald did. But he did believe that there was a po- possibility that some who died would make it into, uh, 
in, into heaven at the end. And so um, even after death. Hmm. So, so those are just some shockers when it comes to, again, the great, um, you know, the great apologist C.S. Lewis. Now, um, it's interesting because I have some great quotes by J.I. Packer because Packer, I mean, you're talking about uh, super Calvinists, hardcore Calvinists. Um, but he, he disagreed with Lewis on a number of theological points, but he had high, high respect for him and saw the great contribution that he had. And so that, again, is what I'm trying to convey here. Look, you can disagree with someone uh, theologically. You can believe that some of their views are off base, right? Uh, some of their interpretations are inaccurate. But goodness me, you know, recognize C.S. Lewis was a brother in the Lord, right? right? And God used him despite his flawed views on certain areas. And the same is true for every other mover and shaker in the Christian church. Now, I will say something else, uh, Jeremy, about this, because I know somebody's thinking in their head, well, what about heresy? What about false teaching? Yeah. Well, there is there is something called false teaching, and there is something called heresy, but the interesting thing about the word heresy, it's not what we think it is. Heresy in the first century did not mean holding to an inaccurate or false belief. Heresy in the first century was an action. It was when a believer began to divide a body of believers, divide an ecclesia, divide an assembly. Yep. And a person can be divisive, not just with false teaching, which often happens, a person can be divisive and divide God's people with a biblical truth. So a heretic can be a heretic with the truth. And so there's a whole chapter on that. And, and also, Jeremy, I talk about in the book, I don't want to give any of it away here because you know I go through it progressively, but um, there, there are, uh, there are uh, you know, situations where a person is engaging in spreading false teaching um, that goes right to the heart of the gospel. And the question is, okay, when that happens, first of all, what does it look like? How do we know it's false teaching? And the second thing is, how do we deal with it? And so there's a whole section in there. But by and large, I'm really talking about just areas of interpretation that we just disagree with. And there's some Christians that are so trigger happy that if you disagree with them, you're immediately a heretic because you disagree with them on a biblical interpretation, which is just ludicrous. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you brought all those points out. So many things I wanted to say. On the heresy point, yeah, I, and I had written articles on this about 10 years ago on my own blog where I noticed the same exact thing. I had been getting, back then, I had been getting called a false teacher and a heretic too for from a variety of sources because of some of the things I was teaching and writing. And I still do that. I still get some of that today. So I, like you, I did a study on the word heresy and found out exactly what you discovered that uh, it was. It's, it's, it's this activity where some Christians were dividing over yeah. with other Christians, splitting up the church and, and condemning each other even uh, over certain you know, disagreements and, and of opinion and belief. And, and so it's funny that the, the quote-unquote quote -unquote, heretic hunters of today who go around dividing the church and name-calling and being divisive in a sense, from a New Testament perspective, they are the real heretics almost, um, because because of how divisive and angry and and bitter some of their their words are. So, mm. but again, we don't want to be name calling and pointing fingers. So uh, there's grace even there, which we too yeah. try to extend um, and yeah. be patient. 
uh, towards towards those people, and hopefully they learn. And I think one of the keys here, too, that was really helpful for me is discovering, just sort of looking back through my own life, I think it's helpful to look at these great uh, people of the past and what they thought and taught, and we realize, you know, I disagree with them on this. But I think then, it, for me, it transitions to looking back to my own past, and I've been writing and teaching for, I don't know, 30 years, I guess, and realizing I was just reviewing some of my sermons that I taught about 15 years ago, and I am shaking my head at myself at what I taught and believed back then. And I realized, you know what, I disagree with myself. I held some things 15 years ago that were shocking, I think, uh, and that, <laughs> right. that I, I disagree with strongly today. And uh, so that likely means... That even today, right now, I hold some things, I believe some things, I teach some things that maybe in 10 or 15 years from now, I will look back upon, you know, myself of today and shake my head some more and do the little yeah. face, you know, the face palm. And, and so that, and since I want people to extend grace towards me um, for some of what I believe, you know, you might disagree. Fine. Let's love each other. Let's, we can even have a discussion about it if we want. Um uh, but but let's let's and teach each other. Sure, and iron sharpens iron, and discuss scripture. All of that's good. But at the end of the day, we want to extend grace towards each other. Be patient, and realize that Jesus is leading us all towards unity and love. And and we can, uh, you know, be like Martin or uh, uh, John Wesley and and uh, Whitfield and agree to disagree, realizing mm-hmm. we're both part of the family of God. That's just so beautiful about this. And I just think lots of people don't realize that. Lots of people think, oh, I am 100% correct in my doctrine. <laughs> no, you aren't. So, and you need well, some of these people. What you're describing is a process of growth. I mean, it's, it, it, it is true for every believer who's honest that <clears throat> what you believe today is not what you believed when you were just, you know, a young believer, a new babe in Christ. And, yeah. and if, and if, that's not true, then you haven't grown much, uh, nor have you been tied to reality because we're all evolving. We're all learning. And for following the Lord, we're learning new things about him and we're, reass- we're reassessing things we once held. Now, here, here's, here, here's a statement I made. It, it goes along with what you said. Um, somewhere in the book, I said something to this effect that, you know, we have a lot of Christians that are excommunication happy. And Mm. by the way, I believe in excommunication, uh, but it has to be for the specific reasons that scripture gives. Uh, One of the things that, that the new Testament outlines very clearly uh, as a basis for excommunication is unrepentant slander. Uh, This Paul says this in his letters. If somebody's going around slandering another believer uh, and they don't stop, they're causing division and they need to be excommunicated. Well, I've found that many Christians who are very much tied to kind of a fundamentalist viewpoint of scripture, uh, you know, they believe everything the Bible says, kind of ignore that. And so they will receive someone who has been excommunicated even for that sin uh, and receive them as a brother and, you know, align them, themselves with them. And, and this just is, is a mockery of, of what the Holy Spirit is, is leading us to do. And, and it corrupts many, many people. But, but having said that, many people being so uh, happy and quick to excommunicate others, I made the statement that if I um, 
if I basically um, believed, if I was a trigger happy excommunication person and um, I met myself 35 years ago, I would have to excommunicate myself for some of the <laughs> stuff I believe. Right. <laughs> if excommunication was based on what you believe. Uh, but one of the things too that we explore in the book uh, is is just how do we disagree in a civil, gracious, Christ-like way? So, for example, let's say that you and I have a conversation about a certain interpretation of a biblical subject, and you come out one way and I come out on another. How can we actually talk in a way where we're affirming each other, respecting each other, but we are hammering out our disagreement in a civil, Christ-like manner. And that is what seems to be missing, uh, you know, across the board. In most cases, when Christians disagree, there's just not that understanding of how to disagree agreeably or disagree graciously. And, you know, one of the tips I give is ask questions. Like, for example, Jeremy, you may uh, believe a, a certain thing about, uh, you know, First Thessalonians chapter four, where he talks about the catching away and Christ appearing in the heavens, and we all will be caught up with him in the clouds and the air. And you may have a, a, a different view on that than, than I do. Well, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you questions. Okay, well, you believe this about that statement. How does that square with this other scripture? How do you reconcile that? All right, that's a good question to ask because it forces you to examine your own belief, right? Yep. And, and at the end of the day, if we can converse in a civil Christ-like manner and I can ask you questions and you can ask me questions, challenging questions, right? How does this fit with this other passage in scripture? Or how does this fit with this other fact? Um, then at the end of the day, we both become right because if I can see that I'm wrong, well, then we're both right, right? Because mm. you, you convinced me. And if I can show you that you're wrong, then we're both right. Uh, and, and even if, even if we come to a, a standstill, uh, I think it was George Whitfield again, who came up with the phrase, let's agree to disagree. Uh, that goes back to Whitfield and John Wesley quotes him, let's agree to disagree. Hmm. Uh, and that's after you've kind of exhausted, uh, you know, uh, trying to come to one mind. So we talk about that. How do you agree? How do you disagree agreeably? Um, there's a chapter called the new tolerance, which is big in our day. Boy, tolerance is being uh, hammered at people and used in such a way where uh, those who throw it the most at others are the most intolerant. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, you just might be a Pharisee if, and there's a long <laughs> list of, <laughs> um, so you think you disagree. Well, one of the things I've found, Jeremy, is that many times when two believers really think they have a disagreement, if they go deep into conversing about it, they will find many, many times they really don't disagree. They're just using different language right. in their conversation. And uh, that happens often. In other words, it's rooted in semantics, not reality. Hmm. Uh, here's another one. The art of being a jerk online. So if you want to be a jerk online, here are, here are the characteristics. Um, warning, the world is watching how we Christians treat one another. Boy, that's a sobering oh. uh, chapter, I tell you. Misrepresentations. 
who are the real heretics. Mm. They are our teachers. Anyway, the book has a lot in it. <clears throat> Excuse me. The book has a lot in it that goes into all of this, how we um, view each other amid disagreements, how we engage with one another. What is heresy? What are the quote unquote essentials of the faith? There's a whole chapter on that. Mm. So, so I think it will help the Lord's people. And I'm so glad that Rick Warren challenged me and asked me to write the uh, series. Uh, and uh, I, I hope it, I hope it helps people. Yeah, no, I think it really will. And uh, this sounds like a book that is really needed in the Christian church today. And we've been talking about theology the whole time, but at the very beginning of our discussion, you even mentioned politics. So I think that even what you're writing about in the book can apply to our great political differences as well that we often have with each other. And again, Mm -hmm. we can have the same approach, just like you just talked about, where rather than condemning people for their views or beliefs, maybe we can sit down and just start asking questions. And ultimately, I've convinced, as I've done this myself, conversed with people myself, if we ask these questions, ultimately we we discover we're not that far apart. We both want the same things. We both agree on a lot of the essentials and the basics. We just maybe disagree on how to get there, how to apply things. But ultimately, we're, we're all shooting for the same thing. And so I love this book. I love what you've done here. And ultimately, I really hope it's used to bring the body of Christ together so that we can all love each other, live together in peace and unity. That's ultimately the goal of the book, right? Absolutely. Yeah, the goal is unity, oneness, and just learning how to disagree in a civil Christ-like way. Because look, not only does it hurt the kingdom of God, but it hurts the testimony and witness of God's people and our message of the gospel when we have blood on our hands because we've just you know, tore into somebody uh, on Facebook or Twitter uh, over a theological or political disagreement. And uh, so I'm hoping the Lord will use it uh, to bring about what he wants. And uh, if people are interested, they can get the first five chapters actually on um, on a website. It's regrace.info, regrace.info, I-N-F-O. And uh, it has the introduction of the book. And then there's a link where they can get a PDF of the first five chapters and then ordering information, of course, if they want to get a copy. It's very short. Um, it's less than two page, two hundred. It's less than two hundred pages, um, if you don't count the end notes at the end. And like I said, it is sprinkled with a good dose of humor in just about every chapter. So Fantastic. hopefully, people will <laughs> will get a kick out of reading it. So the book is Regrace by Frank Viola. What the shocking beliefs of the great Christians can teach us today. And Frank, you mentioned Regrace info. Uh, but where else can people find you and some of the other things you produce? Yeah, they can go to frankviola.org. I send out, that's um, my blog, and I send out uh, an email, a fresh article every Thursday. And then uh, we also have the new Insurgents podcast, which just came out recently, and that's at theinsurgents.net. And uh, I have conversations with uh, pastors, theologians about different aspects of the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and and what I call the insurgents, which is uh, happening right now as we speak. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, again, the title is Regrace, and it is available today. Stop whatever you're doing, go to your favorite bookstore and buy a copy and read it 
so that we can all work towards unity and love and grace. Uh, and, and this is not just a book that's going to tell you to do it, sort of give you a guilt trip, but also show you how. That's what I love about the book. So practical, giving us concrete, practical steps on how to work towards love and unity with those whom we disagree. Frank, thank you so much for joining me, and I really hope this book gets spread far and wide, just like so many of your other books have. I appreciate it, Jeremy. Thanks. All right. Talk to you later. <laughs>